Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. Hi, this is Mara Davis, named by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a prominent Democratic activist. And I'm Jen Jordan, and I'm not. So... (laughs) (laughs) You are uh, Senator Jen Jordan. That's right. So that's, that's a lot. I, that is your title. I say that because there was an article in the AJC and one of my tweets got highlighted, which is really surprising based on what it was. I'm going to get to that in a second. But while we're talking about voting, because when you vote, good things can happen. The Georgia early voting statistics are absolutely bonkers. Over 2 million people have already voted And we still have a lot of time left. 2.3 the last time I checked, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. There's a electproject.github.io. You can tweet me at Mary Davis or at Senator Jen and we can give you this website. It is so like fascinating because you can see the age, the people voting by age And, well, you're going to know the answer of what's the highest percent. Like, what's the age where the most people voted? It's like 60 plus. Old people. They're in it to win it, man. (laughs) I mean, old people. They they are the most reliable voting block, which is always, I mean, a lot of times they swing the election, which is why folks have been looking at Florida so closely with respect to Trump. Um, Because a lot of older voters are not happy in terms of the pandemic and how that's been handled. So here we are, according to this, 66 and up, it's almost 800,000 people have already voted. But here's another interesting statistic, is that the 18 to 24 vote has grown significantly. A lot of younger folks are getting out there. Yeah, and another website to look at is something called georgiavotes.com. And basically what Ryan, this great guy named Ryan, did this in his spare time, He downloads the information every night, and he also kind of um, separates it into 2016 and 2018, who voted, who didn't. And according to his numbers, I think almost half a million of the voters that have already voted didn't vote in 16, and they didn't vote in 18. Here is the burning question. We look at these polls. Everything in Georgia is super tight. Now we're talking about this incredible voter turnout, that more people have voted now. So all the people that voted for Trump in 2016, the amount of people have already voted. What does this mean? Does that have a reflection on the polls based on this extremely high voter turnout? You know, it it can impact the polls because a lot of times the only people who get polled are folks that historically have been regular voters. So that's why you can get thrown off a lot of times. But look, we are so close to election day that this is what I tell people. Ignore the polls. And this is what my pollster has said to me in the past. He said the ultimate poll is election day. So y'all, y'all got to get out and vote. Absolutely. Get out and vote. Call three friends today if you're listening and ask them what their voting plan is. I've texted more of my friends, especially my friends with kids who are voting age, to be like, make sure they did it. And did it correctly. I mean, that's yes. that's some of the issue around, you know, kids that are in Athens dropping their absentee ballots off in the Dropbox in Athens. 
even though they're registered in Fulton County. And the problem with that is that then that vote doesn't get counted. So make sure you go online and check. You can always email us, by the way, at voteherpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll work you through any issue you may have. Okay, let's get back to my new title, Prominent Democratic Activist. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to talk a little bit about suburban women and Georgia. This is the biggest topic right now. And believe it or not, I got mentioned in the newspaper for this. I mean, Senator Jen gets mentioned all the time, but like I, when it, when it comes to politics, but for me, this was crazy to be lumped into this because I actually stood up for Senator Kelly Loeffler. I stood up for her, which was, I felt she deserved uh, David Ralston, who was a lawmaker. Who's the actual speaker of the, the Georgia House. He basically criticized her. He is a Collins supporter, and he criticized her, said she married well. And I really took offense to that because as much as I, I have, if you follow my Twitter, you know I uh, have strong feelings about her. I found that so offensive. Well, I think it shows you a little bit Well, actually, it shows you a lot why Republicans are having significant problems with women in Georgia. It's because that's their mindset and that's what they think and that's what's coming out of their mouth. Right. So, sure, she married a really, really wealthy guy. There's no question about it. They met while working together in the money business. But nevertheless, I don't want to take away anything from her accomplishments. Well, not only that, but it doesn't matter. How does that have anything to do with whether or not she will be good at the job of U.S. Senator or not? Look at her on the merits. But just because she married well, I mean, it just kind of shows you that it's just poking, right? Just trying to poke at her. And it's in ways that are really, really rooted in sexism. It totally is. So I noted that in a tweet. And then I noted, of course, we mentioned this last week, Amy Coney Barrett being asked about doing the laundry, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. And then, of course, the biggest story of last week uh, was Senator Perdue at a Trump rally in Macon uh, said this about Senator Kamala Harris. The most insidious thing that Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are trying to perpetrate and Bernie and Elizabeth and Kamala or what Kamala or Kamala, Kamala, Mala, Mala, I don't know. Whatever. Now, Jen, this made some major national news and it had a ripple effect that was crazy. Well, because it was intentional, right? Like this wasn't just sleight of hand. This was intentionally done to play to the audience that was in front of them. And it's one of those things where, I mean, Trump has done it, made fun of her name. They do this and they do this particularly to women and they do this to demean them and try to make them some something other than a United States senator. Well, I was offended for many reasons. Number one. Now, I don't think he planned it. My theory is, is I don't think he planned it. I think he was in the moment. The rally was happening. People are all fired up and he was going off the cuff kind of the way Trump does. And the consequences are different for other people. It's just, he's the cult leader. Yeah, but look, I don't think I've ever heard or known David Perdue to go off the cuff. Okay, fair enough. So we can disagree, but fair enough. the, The conclusion is the same. 
the result is the same. No doubt about it. But you're not. A, there are 100 United States senators. So chances are, if you work in a group of 100 people, you're going to know everybody's name. Oh, he knows her name. Then on top of that, he serves on a committee with her, which is a smaller group of individuals. She is running for vice president. You don't know her name. And then to, then it became so many different things. Uh, there was a hashtag about people who had hard names to pronounce. Uh, comedy shows were making fun of it. Purdue is just showing off that he doesn't pay attention at work. It's like hearing someone on the Lakers say that they're teammates with Laverne Jamais. Like, dude, you've been checked out for a while, haven't you? The question is, why would Senator Purdue act like Kamala Harris's name is that hard to say? Kamala, Kamala, Malama. What, what is he doing? Is he making a racist joke? Was, was he doing racism? Well, that sounds like a case for Trevor Noah, racism detective. Trump wasn't the only Republican acting like an idiot at a rally this weekend. There was also Georgia Senator David Perdue, seen here explaining how he likes his pumpkins to have some junk in the trunk. Senator Perdue was the opening act for Trump's rally in Macon, Georgia on Friday. And he had this to say about Democratic vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris. Kamala or what? Kamala or Kamala, 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 I don't know. Whatever. Okay, it's, that's not a hard name to pronounce. It's Kamala Harris. Get it right next time. Senator David Pubedu. I mean, puke dude. I mean, pure doo-doo. Senator Perv Dookie immediately came under fire for being a racist because, yeah. So his campaign released a statement trying to backtrack, saying he simply mispronounced Senator Harris's name and didn't mean anything by it, which is kind of hard to believe since he's worked with Harris in the Senate since 2017. In his defense, he never actually heard her name pronounced because he has spent the past four years with his head firmly lodged up the president's keister. And ultimately, the Ossoff campaign raised what? $2 million? $2 million plus. I mean, it obviously poked people the wrong way. I mean, it was, it was just disrespectful. And then, not even an apology for it. It was kind of a snarky, like, we were just talking about her radical socialist agenda, which, again, I'm so offended by that because all of these people who were yammering on about that, if you ask them about that, and I would like to say, hey, did you get a check? Did you get a check for $600 during the pandemic? Did you like that? Well, that's socialism. Well, what's interesting is that this is kind of part of uh, Purdue's larger pattern. You'll remember when they had that uh, social media um, snafu where they made John Ossoff's nose larger. And then he said, oh, uh, it's not really me. It was somebody else, you know. I mean, he never really takes responsibility. I mean, you know. Come on. Well, so the Ossoff campaign really ran with it. I mean, and they've been able to get a lot of mileage out of it. So listen, you got to take your, got to take your bets, you know? So $2 million, that gives you a lot of money to buy more television advertising. Is it enough? Oh, he's got enough. But, but, you know, he already had 8 million cash on hand. John's doing very well with the money right now, but in large part because of what Republicans are doing. Back to Leffler for a minute. Um, we watched the debate. There was a debate, and I think only us political nerds watched it. But- Just me and Mara, actually. <laughs> no one else. And we can play you some highlights from it, but 
so you had to look at this. It was like everybody was on Zoom and Kelly Leffler had, of course, this beautiful like America behind her. I mean, she looked good. Her hair looked good. Her makeup looked good. But what she was saying was like listening to a robot from Westworld. But this part especially struck us. You know what? You've attacked my hair, my makeup, how I talk, my clothes, where I'm from. You've lied about me. You've lied about my family. And let me tell you, here's the truth. I'm here because I've earned everything I got. And I've never mentioned anything personally about her fixtures, hair, or anything else. But it's amazing what she talked about me. It's interesting how she said to Doug Collins that he's focused on her hair and makeup, which I don't think we've seen her actually him actually do that. No, what what was interesting from a political perspective about what she did, and it was the one thing everybody took away from that debate, too, was he makes an attack on her. She doesn't want to answer it. So what she does is she comes back with kind of clearly this prearranged, kind of pre-framed um, counterattack saying that he's, you know, attacked her for her looks and for what she wears and her hair and all this, when that's not true. He, I mean, you know, Collins has done a lot, but he hasn't attacked her for those things. But really what she was doing is she was kind of making him like the man that everybody has had to deal with, every woman has ever had to deal with being attacked and, 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 and having your clothes judged and all that kind of stuff and made him the personification of that. And I have never seen a more confused look on Doug Collins' face. I can't even believe we're sticking up for him at all, but I have to say that I thought he, if I didn't hate everything he stands for and says, I would I find him sort of likable. Look, he's authentic. Right. And most, look, all we want is somebody just to be themselves. I mean, he's, he's the a carnival barker. I mean, I remember watching him at the um, impeachment hearings and I had it on in the other room and I was like, am I watching, you know, 35, 45, blah, 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 like an auction here at a farm auction? No, I mean, he speaks so quickly and I mean... So clearly he is not coached. He's not reading off cue cards. There is nothing kind of pre-arranged in terms of what he's saying, which actually is refreshing. You know, when you're listening to one of those debates like that, especially in comparison to Leffler, who would not get off her talking points, would not. But clearly the one thing that everybody took away from it was the fact that she was being attacked um, as a woman. And I'm not so sure that's the case. And there were other people there, by the way. Uh, Warnock, obviously, who is, is you know, doing pretty well in the polls. But Yeah, and he did a great job. He did. He was a little nervous. It was not his medium. I think it is different. For, first of all, being on a Zoom meeting is hard for everybody. So that was a really interesting th thing. And, you know, I think it is different for women because women kind of – it's an easy target to like, like Jen was saying, to go after the hair, to, to, to sort of frame it that way. And I think Kelly Leffler was doing a disservice to all women by trying to frame that. Well, I think she was trying to um, actually have some solidarity with women, right? The whole reason she was picked was to bring suburban women back into the fold for the GOP. And she has failed miserably at that. But on this one point, like I said, we've all been there. 
we have. And, you know, guess what? Like a lot of women were really not into racism. We're like not into yeah, that. We're not. We're really not into racism. <laughs> I'm just not into that. Sorry. Now, in the presidential debate, uh, which, by the way, Kristen Welker, let's everybody send her a fruit basket because thank God she saved the debates. It was tough to watch and we don't want to go down that road because it's over and done. But as far as a strong women goes, tip of the hat. Amazing. Her and Leslie Stahl. Those, both of those women. Wow. Yeah. Badass women. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, had some comments when it came to her being called AOC by the president. AOC plus three. They know nothing about the climate. I mean, she's got a good line of stuff, but she knows nothing about the climate. And they're all hopping through hoops for AOC plus three. And she tweeted out, I wonder if Republicans understand how much they advertise their disrespect of women in debates when they consistently call women members of Congress by nicknames or first names while using titles and last names when referring to men of equal stature. And then she goes on to say, uh, AOC is my given name to the community and the people. Y'all can call me AOC, but government colleagues referring to each other in a public or professional context should refer to their peers as Congresswoman, Representative, Senator, Basic 101 here. No, and look, this happens, this happens at the state level and particularly, you know, with male electeds in terms of how they refer to their fellow elected officials that are women. They'll call them by their first name. They'll call them little lady. Um, They'll never call them senator or representative or chairwoman. Um, They do everything they can to kind of minimize the person in front of them. And uh, you know what? It just isn't okay. I loved when we talked to Greg Bluestein a couple of weeks ago. He just referred to you as senator the entire time. He had such a level. By the way, he works for the AJC. He's the political reporter. But I got such a kick out of that. But I know that we're friends, so I don't have to call you senator every time. No, you don't. But but look, especially down at the Capitol. I mean, I remember I was in the middle of all the 481 stuff, and uh, the proponent of that bill like refused to call me senator. And in the middle of the committee hearing, I'm saying it's senator. So it's it's intentional. And even if it's not, you, you need to check yourself because especially with all the women that are running this year, things are going to look a little bit different under the gold dome and um, folks are going to have to kind of start being a little more respectful. Well, speaking of women that are running, this is a great segue into our next guest. All right. So Sarah Beeson is a Roswell native and mother who operates a 50 plus employee family business that's been based in Roswell for over two decades. And she's running to join me in the Georgia State Senate. Yay. The state Senate district she's running in is SD 56, and it comprises parts of North Fulton County, Cherokee County, and parts of the northern metro Atlanta area also known as the sweet spot of Georgia's suburban women. Sarah has an MBA and a master's of science and environmental management. She lives in Roswell with her husband, Tommy, and has two adorable children. Sarah, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. 
So I became really fascinated with you, uh, with your Twitter feed, Sarah Z Beeson. You can follow, yeah. you can follow Sarah because I had read a tweet about your opponents being so extremely anti-choice. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I guess that was one of the key reasons why I had decided to run initially go back in time to April of 20, it March and April, 2019. So the last legislative session, um, and there was a lot of problematic votes. And I think that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. The Georgia legislature, and I'm sure Jen's quite aware of this is, um, they were passing HB 41, which is essentially an abortion ban because it bans abortions after six weeks in Georgia. And it's essentially an abortion ban. There's really no window there because any woman who's been pregnant is well aware. You don't really quite know that you're pregnant that early. My husband and I at the time were planning a pregnancy and knew to take tests that early. And um, it was around the six week mark. And I had called my doctor to make an appointment to go ahead and confirm the pregnancy. And the doctor's office had responded, sorry about that. We or we'll go ahead and schedule you for the eight week appointment. It's like eight weeks. Now, yeah, we usually don't see people until the eight or nine week appointment unless there are some serious medical concerns. And it was the exact same week that they're passing 41 through the legislature. And I'm sitting here doing the math. I'm like, how is it that Georgia government, specifically Georgia GOP, believes that they have a say in my own medical decisions before I can even see a doctor or a medical care provider to make a decision about my own body and my own life and which way this is headed? And I thought that was egregious. I think if a lot of people are familiar with the handmaids that kept coming down to the Georgia legislature uh, and the handmaid's tale outfit, um, a lot of them are from my district and they were frustrated because they weren't getting any answers from my opponent. And they had finally cornered him at the ropes, like trying to get into the, the actual chambers to go vote. And his only answer was that he was going to vote with his conscience and it's problematic at best. Also, I, I don't think that he had intended for it to become public. Um, but I managed to find a questionnaire that he filled out in his own handwriting where it's for a it's for an organization for an endorsement here in Georgia. And they had asked you support uh, abortion, making it illegal. He said that he wants to make it illegal. And then it, just in case there was any question, he asked the questionnaire asks, what about in cases of uh, rape where the authorities are involved? And he said no. And in cases where a mother's life is in danger, he said no. And in cases where uh, incest with children, when the authorities are involved, and he said no. And if again, if you were wondering, maybe he misunderstood, he writes below it in his own handwriting, no exceptions, and then initials it and then signs it at the bottom. So all of these kind of culminate into, I think, a really terrifying perspective on women's health and ability for a woman to make uh, medical decisions on her own without having government interference. This is a person who's representing the northern suburbs here in Atlanta. Well, not only that, but that is that's actually a radical view, even within the the pro-life kind of community or movement. The whole idea that the life of the mother doesn't even come into play um, when you're talking about these situations. Incest. I mean, mean, incest with a child. I mean, this is the whole idea that somebody actually holds these beliefs and not only holds these beliefs, but is willing to put it out there. I mean, it's more than concerning. And to legislate to these beliefs too. The interesting thing is, so uh, Sarah's opponent, 
blocked me on Twitter immediately because as soon You're as- the first. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw, I saw Sarah tweeting about this and I made a very, I thought it was a very tame insult, which was this guy would probably call in sick over a period cramp. Now to me, that is like grade, like elementary school insults. Uh, right? You, if you right, get like you, on the Twitter scale. <laughs> I mean, yes. Well, he blocked me immediately. And I thought, if I'm a woman in that district, how are you talking to your constituents who are half women, maybe even more? Sarah, you would probably know better. If you're not willing to listen, so is so that had to be a very big jump for you. Hey, I'm gonna run for state house. Walk us through how it all came together. Sure. Um, so like I mentioned, that was the straw that broke the camel, broke the camel's back. Um, before that, um, so my opponent's chair of the public safety committee for the Georgia Senate. And in the wake of the Parkland shooting, he was tasked with introducing legislation that would address gun violence in schools. And the bill that he came up with and got passed never mentioned the word gun. And it placed the onus of school safety on teachers and administrators. And it allowed for what would essentially be profiling, more specifically racial profiling of children uh, who are in the school system. Most teachers groups spoke out against it. Um, Governor Kemp, which we, we know he's not exactly a moderate, vetoed the bill. So mm-hmm. that gives you an idea of how poorly written it was. And that was a bill that was concerning for me because at the time, my husband and I, so I'm, I'm younger in the greater scheme of things for a, a candidate. I'm 31 years old. I say that I'm a member of the active shooter generation. Columbine took place when I was in fifth grade. So I was in active shooter drills mm. in elementary, middle school, high school, college, and even in the workplace when I worked for the human rights campaign. And somehow, collectively, legislators and lawmakers have not been able to address or unwilling to address gun violence in places of public accommodation. And I thought that's terrifying. But here you are having a lawmaker who shies away from these decisions. So I was already on edge. And then we had HB 41 come down. And the bigger issue to me was, I kept wondering who's going to run, like who's, who's going to run against this person? Who's going to run against my now opponent. And I wanted specifically a mother because that was someone who's going to represent me. I wanted a mother who had younger children who were at least going through the school system because they had some skin in the game the same way that I do. Um, I wanted someone who was a person of color. Um, and I'm, I myself, uh, I'm Iranian American. I'm a child of an immigrant on my, my dad's an immigrant. And I wanted someone who believed in science and, I have a master's in environmental management. I wanted someone who understood small business. I run a small business. And so collectively, I'm waiting to hear who's going to step up because they needed to have a decent amount of ground game before election year. And finally, after having a conversation with my husband and several friends, it was, why not me? And I think I fit that demographic of most female candidates who, uh, they say the statistic is a female candidate has to be asked seven times before she will decide to enter a race as opposed to a male candidate who will just throw his hat in regardless of if someone suggests it. And I had, I'm, I've come from a very political circle. Um, I'm the former statewide president for the Young Democrats of Georgia. And I had several people in my circle ask, so what about you? Why aren't you running? You're going to run, right? And the more I had people kind of just pushing me towards it, I finally was like, you know what? Fine. I'm doing wow. it. Wow. So yeah, especially I was pregnant at the time too. I think some people probably thought I'd lost my mind. Um <laughs> No, I think I think a lot of women look, I, you know, in terms of the state Senate and the state House, the overwhelming majority of the challengers to Republican incumbents are women. 
And I think that can be directly traced back to HB 481. I mean, I think women were asking the question just like you, Sarah, why not, you know, who, right? Who is going to stand up? Who is going to do this? And then you kind of turn around and you're like, well, why not me? I mean, because it doesn't look like anybody else is going to step up and um, and somebody needs to. And I, that's why I see Sarah so great. So because I mean, look, that's what kind of brought me to Jen was when HB 481 was going on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what what can I do? And I saw a woman spe- saying things that I was really feeling. So this is an incredible thing that you're doing. We got a kick out of you, which is why we wanted to have you on the show too, because last week we talked about all these political mailers and your opponent sent out these hilarious, I don't, I think they were unintentionally funny mailers of you. And there's, you know, Sarah Beeson wants to be, what does it say? I'm reading it now. Oh, I, yeah, I'm holding it up right now. Sarah Beeson wants to be like Hillary Clinton. And that's a disaster for Georgia. <laughs> but isn't that like, People in your district d- district may be like, oh, I'm into that. Well, it's so 1998, <laughs> yes. right? Like, it's like, really? Like, a strong woman? She wants to be like a strong woman? Okay. Well, as opposed to what? Sarah Beeson <laughs> wants to be like Donald Trump? Like, <laughs> Well, and that's right. Then that's the natural question. And also, again, it goes back to my whole thing about negative pieces. As long as they use kind of cute photos. It, it kind of all comes out in the wash. Well, okay. So there's one of uh, Sarah where, so you were in a maternity dress. Oh yeah. So this one is a attack digital ad and it's <laughs> the bullet points. I'm trying to remember them off the top of my head, but the bullet points are like liberal. Sarah Beeson is elected. Horrible things will happen to Georgia. And one of the bullet points is uh, riots in the streets and violence everywhere. And the picture they use is, frankly, an adorable photo of me smiling. But I can tell by the shirt that I'm wearing from the shoulders, I'm wearing a maternity shirt, which means I'm in at least my third trimester of pregnancy. And they conveniently cropped out my very pregnant belly. So, like, I mean, nothing is more disconcerting, right? And says riot in the streets, like floral maternity wear. Yeah, it did. You know, you have to kind of wonder about the consultants on this one. I mean, look, we I've seen them in all I've seen some negatives where, you know, they they take a picture of a candidate where her hair is a little bit longer and darker. And then later on, it's cut a little shorter and blonder. And they're like, who is this person? Do you know who this person is? And it's, again, the whole writing in the streets and all this stuff. And it's like, no, these are moms. These are mothers. They're professionals. They're business owners. I mean, and they're running. Because they're oh, yeah. mad. So the talking point on all of those is, and at least I've seen every single candidate, and Jen, you probably got them too, is um, so-and-so is a socialist. And I'm like, okay, first of all, am I going to be like Hillary Clinton or am I trying to be a socialist? Because the two do not meet. Hillary Clinton is not known for being far left by any means. But, you know, I'm running a small business and I'm a socialist somehow. And there's going to be riot in the streets, but hold on, let me drop off my kid at preschool first. Like, <laughs> The, the language and the narrative just aren't matching. But the sad thing is, is I wonder who believes this and who's buying into it. Well, I think people do. And I think if you ask some of those people in your neighborhood, number one, where you're campaigning Alpharetta, Milton, parts of Woodstock, uh, I don't think there was any even protesting going on there, no less rioting, uh, right? 
So that's well, n- unless the cells at you know Avalon or whatever. <laughs> There's I just, mean, you know, that's right. So uh, that's number one. Number two, I don't think they could even define what socialism actually is. I think yeah. it's just a scary word, and then you you know you slap on radical, and then suddenly it's something. So I think that's funny messaging, but I think you really have a good chance because you look and sound like a lot of the women there. So can you just give me a little nugget of what your campaign is and what you what your platform is? Sure. So, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think when people look at me, they don't think there's a politician or there's a Georgia senator because I don't fit the same narrative that every other lawmaker. I mean, one in four senators in the Georgia Senate is a woman. I'm 31 years old. I'm a brown woman. I am the mother of two very small children. I run a business. I have a master's in environmental science. So I believe scientists wholeheartedly. And you're right. I don't look like your average Georgia lawmaker, but you know who I look exactly like is the average person here in Georgia. I look like the person who's going to be most impacted by the legislative decisions that these people are elected to make. And I realize that we don't necessarily have a seat at the lawmaking table. So that's the biggest part of my platform is making sure that the average Georgian has a seat at the lawmaking table, that we have some level of accountability and transparency because I'm not out to block people. And the thing that I've said repeatedly is if my opponent cannot have these difficult conversations with constituents, just because he simply disagrees with them on a small point, I think by and large, most people agree on most things. It's just a few small areas that there's contingencies they might not agree. If he can't have these difficult conversations with constituents, I'm more than happy to. And I have two small children. I tell you right now, I deal with a temper tantrum every hour on the hour, and I can handle just about any temper tantrum in the Georgia Senate. So if he can't handle it, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Yeah, I think your campaign slogan should be, I won't block you. It's like... <laughs> I mean, that's what's so nutty, right? It it sort of amazed me too. Um, and we're not going to give out his information um, because you can research it on your own. Uh, Sarah, we are so excited for your campaign and are rooting for you. And fun fact about Sarah is that she also worked in radio, um, which of course made me really, because I think if you want to learn how to be a tough broad, you work in radio and being a female in radio, it's, it's a good preparation for politics. Wouldn't you agree? You have to be able to, I will say I was an unpaid intern. So there was, I worked, but was not paid for it. But I also worked in rock radio. So if you want to talk about male dominated industry, it's that. <laughs> oh, I could do a whole episode of, on that, but um, we're going to leave this to the politics. Everybody can go to votebeeson.com to find out more information about Sarah. That's votebeeson.com. And if you're living in that district, number 56, make sure you go ahead and put that vote in for Sarah. Or, or you know, you listening, do whatever you want. But if I lived in your district, you'd have my vote. I appreciate it. Me too. So thank you so much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all having me on and having a chat with me today. Well, thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. It's great to have such strong women who are inspired by people like you, Senator Jen Jordan. Well, I am 
crossing my fingers that Sarah and all these other amazing women win because I would love to deliver on my promise that, you know, if you're going to pass anti-woman laws, then the women are going to get mad and maybe come for you. I have to say that you inspired me to become more politically active. And I think, you know, I am not alone. So you have. And now you're a prominent (laughs) Democratic (laughs) activist. Thank you for that. Okay, so here's a new segment that we're going to try out for for you. And it's called L. I'm like, what the what? Let's get started with Jeffrey Tubin. So if you haven't heard, you know, we've all been on a lot of Zoom meetings during the pandemic and he apparently was uh, receiving pleasure uh, in his Zoom meeting with a lot of prominent people in a meeting with the New Yorker and he got suspended. My question to you, you should see the look on Jen's face, is... The legal ramifications, is this sexual harassment? Is this, is it, you know, we're in this whole new Zoom world and obviously nobody could do that in a uh, conference room. So, and is he a sex addict? I mean, it's really, ugh, ew. Yeah, I mean, so I guess the upside is that, you know, we're going to be developing a whole new area of law when it comes to Zoom interactions like this, but man, talk about embarrassing, ugh, and gross, like gross. Who does that? Gross. And then you're like in the meeting, and you're thinking, "Was what? Well, 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 I was you thinking of me?" Or oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's it's just it's ew. It's so disgusting. But he even got out ooed by <laughs> Rudy Giuliani. This clip from the new, very nice, Borat movie. I'm so sorry. That's horrible. Sit, 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 sit. Okay. I'm so sorry for that. Really, apologize. Apology accepted. No problem. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Thank you again for giving me this time. Shall we have a drink in the bedroom? What happened? There you go, my dear. Okay. You can give me your phone number and your address. Should we slip your jacket? Okay. Put down your crumb. She's 15. She's too old for you. Listen. Sasha Baron Cohen, I think, totally saved Rudy Giuliani's ass on this one. Look, y'all have got to Google this and and watch the clip for yourself because I kind of, I saw the headlines around it and I was like, all right, it's Borat, whatever. It is clear what's, what he thinks is about to happen. And you're right. If, if Borat wouldn't have come in there, we may have seen a little bit more tubing from Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, I felt very uncomfortable, even though the premise of the movie is that she's 15 years old. Obviously, she's not 15 years old. She does not look 15. She looks older because she's in a suit and in makeup and everything. 
it would still be, even if she was 25, it would still be so wildly inappropriate because she's portraying to be a journalist. For, you know, be- Not only that, but it was like this, this, they had this, this interaction that was like a journalism interaction. And then all of a sudden he's laying down on the bed and has his hands in his pants. It is, Ugh. it is disgusting. It's not even disgusting. Ugh. It's disgusting. And you think about this, this is the president's personal lawyer who's just farting out all this propaganda to Fox News, and they have a whole fake narrative based on that greasy guy. And it is so sad, because if you go back to 9-11 and, and you know, uh, what he did for New York City back in the day, and you think of, like, what an absolute sleazebag this guy be. I mean, listen... He was always a sleazebag. If you read up on Rudy Giuliani, not the greatest guy when it came to his wife and kids and divorces and stuff like that. But this is like beyond. Yeah, it is definitely. Ugh. I'm really hoping that we don't have to do that many segments of L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it just makes you want to say, what's wrong with men sometimes? I, do you feel like, and I felt so bad for my husband when the Tubin thing came out, because to me, like, you're that man. I'm like, you're representing all men. I'm like, could you not wait? Yeah. Like, I, you know, it's like, what? Women would just never do that. That would not cross your mind at all in a work meeting to do anything like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really think there's much more to say about that. Okay. So on that note, it's time to wrap up because we know you have shit to do. One thing I want to remind you to do, if you're listening to go us, vote. go obviously go vote, early vote, do everything that you can. Call three people, make sure they vote. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review on Apple Subscribe. Subscribe. Listen. We want to thank our uh, producer and editor, Christina Loringer. Our music's from Terminus Records. You can reach us always at voteherpodcast at gmail.com. Reach us at, at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis, at Podcast Vote on the Twitters. We'll talk to you next week. On election day. I'm already nervous. <laughs>